Man, I think I'm playing a Sega Genesis game. That was, that was amazing. That was awesome. So let's just address the elephant in the room. Many of you know what our topic is today. We're talking about hell. And I know even just saying that makes a lot of us uncomfortable. In fact, I think maybe a lot of you are like me. It was like considered a bad word when we were kids. Like we weren't even allowed to speak of it. It's kind of interesting. Or maybe for some of us, we like use it as a way to um, like emphasize something like, forgive me, but like we'd say something like, hell yes. Like thinking that that's going to drive our point home. I'm not really sure how, but you never know. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be primarily in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25. Some of you are wondering, hey, is it a little hotter than usual in here? Yes, we turned the furnaces up because I want to give you a real-life illustration. I hope many of you packed your shorts because it's going to get a lot hotter. And I know you're thinking, surely you don't mean that. First of all, my name's not Shirley, so knock that off. And yes, I am joking, so it's okay. It's okay. We're going to get that fixed. I have uh, an immediate goal and kind of a secondary goal. My immediate goal is to just uh, preach the word. Amen? My second goal is to make it where Pastor Brent doesn't have to add an extra week to the series called Everything Ty Said That Was Wrong. So those are our goals for the week. If you're in Matthew chapter 25, say there. There, awesome. I think for some of us, actually, Lizzie, you're awesome. Can you uh, go back to our uh, announcement slides? And I put the QR code up. Can you just throw that up for a few minutes? For a second? Two seconds? All the seconds? I don't know. We'll get it up there at some point, but I'm going to read from this, and uh, I'll just be honest, I'm pretty passionate. Uh, one, because I don't think this is talked about enough. I think it's uh, people, and it's, and it's been this movement lately, uh, people are well-meaning, but we love to talk about the love of God. We love it. Hey, God loves you. God has a plan for you, and we kind of forget to tell them what the plan is, and until you repent, that plan is damnation. Enjoy. Have a good time. That's not very loving, is it? Is it? It'd be like, you know, somebody walking around with a big old gunk in their teeth and you being like, you got to look, man. You got to look about you. It's good. And I'm just buying time so you guys can scan the QR code. Okay, that's enough time. Let's go to our scripture starting in verse 31. I want to set this up a little bit. This is Jesus sharing about the final judgment. And what leads up to this is Jesus is actually in this debate. He's rebuking the religious leaders called the Pharisees and the scribes at the time. Those are kind of their modern day pastors, their religious leaders, people that were supposed to be experts on the word of God. And so Jesus is in this altercation with them. He's explaining why you should not follow these people. In fact, these people, he's, he says some pretty crazy things. He's like, if you're not holier than these who are make a career out of being holy, then you're not going to see the kingdom of God. And everyone's totally blown away. And Jesus follows this by going up on the hillside, overlooking the city of Jerusalem, which uh, some of us may not know. Israel is supposed to be this holy land that represents God. Is, is, an, uh, is God showing his favor so that other nations will look upon it and want to follow God? And Jerusalem is the capital. So this is supposed to be the holiest of holy places. If God is to be worshipped anywhere, this, you think, would be the center location. And Jesus walks up overlooking this holy city, and he begins to weep. He begins to cry. And he's looking down saying, how long do I have to put up with this? These evil people who say that they love me with their lips, but their lives are far from me. They're far from me. And he begins to share these, these analogies. He calls them parable, these stories with, with meaning. And he begins to, to, to share about the time is coming. The judgment is coming. I will be returning. And what's kind of weird is his disciples are like, how are you returning? You're, you're right here. You have to leave first. And so he's He's getting so bogged down by how the world is that he's saying, no, no, look past that. I'm talking about the end of the end, the ultimate goal of me returning in glory. And he's so fed up with what he sees that he, his heart's just broken that he begins to speak out about when he's going to make all things right. And so if you're, if you're with me, that's where we're beginning our passage in verse 31. He begins to stop sharing, sharing parables and he gets down to brass tacks. Starting verse 31, it says, when the son of man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Amen. I can't wait for that. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. When the king, uh, then the king will say to those to his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Remember that part, that's important. Prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. And I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's heavy. Let's pray. God, right now, I thank you that you're not just God, the perfect Lord, the perfect King, the perfect judge, but you're also the perfect Savior. We thank you that you loved us so much that you came down and humbled yourself into flesh to make a way where we had no way that you paid the ultimate price that we can never pay, that we, in our natural disposition, our natural selves, are deserving of eternal punishment, that that's us collecting what we have deserved. That's us getting our reward. But God, you superseded that, and you made a way because you love us so much. God, we thank you that you lived the obedient life that we never could. God, we just praise you. In your name, we pray. Amen. When I first became a Christian, uh, I faced a really, really hard circumstance. Um, I allude to some of my past today. I'm going to allude to a little bit more. So I grew up in uh, kind of an interesting dichotomy where one side of my family was heavy, heavy Catholic. They liked to look prim and proper. They liked to uh, go to Mass, do all their things. And the other side of my family was kind of opposite. There's a lot of addiction and witchcraft and wickedness. And it was just a really interesting mix. And so as I, was, as I would grow up, we would do interesting things like go to, you know, Christmas Catholic Mass with my grandma sometimes whenever we were with her, do all these things. So I had like about this much knowledge of church. And when I became saved, I was just on fire. I was reading my Bible. I was, I was getting to know Jesus on this personal level that um, I just felt hindered to at the Catholic Church. And I remember uh, early on in my faith, my, gr- my grandfather passed away. And it, it was kind of sudden. It was an interesting thing. Um, he fell one day and went into a coma for a couple weeks. And then uh, they kept saying, he's going to wake up, he's going to wake up. And one day they're just like, he's gone. And it, it was just this interesting thing where we're thinking, oh, man, this is, you know, it's a bummer. He's in a coma, but he'll wake up anytime. Now the doctors keep reassuring us. And then one day they just call and say, hey, your grandfather's gone. And it, it, was, it was really challenging knowing what to do. And so I remember I'm, I'm talking with my grandma. We're meeting as a family. And they're like, Ty, uh, we know that you're... A Christian, we know you love the Lord, you're considering becoming a pastor, we would love for you to speak at the funeral. And something that's interesting is my grandfather rejected the faith. Like, wasn't just, wasn't just um, not interested, but full-on was adamant that God was not real, that Jesus was just some man that taught some cool things, but was very, very open and honest that he wanted nothing to do with the Lord. And so, they asked me to speak at the funeral, and I'm in my mind, I'm just thinking, assuming, hey, can you share about the tragedy that your grandfather didn't, didn't know the Lord? And I get there that day, and they actually want me to share that my grandfather's in a better place, and that there's hope. And it, it put me in this really awkward position, this really awkward position, because I'd read enough of the Bible to know that that was not true. But there is this, like I shared a couple weeks ago, there is this very, like, familial tension if I had a choice, am I going to go up and am I just going to lie through my teeth to comfort my family? Or am I going to be a jerk and just walk up and be like, my grandfather is in hell. I don't know what to tell you. Like, turn to Jesus. This is important. And I'm walking and I'm crying and I'm just telling him, I don't, I don't think I can do this, guys. I, he is not in a better place. That is not true. And I'm sorry. And many of us, we find ourselves in this place where we're struggling and, and there's people that we love that don't know the Lord and they die and, and we don't know what to do. We don't know how to comfort them. 
It's, it's hard for me. Can I be honest? I do not like talking to people about this. It's hard, right? It's really challenging. I don't want to be the buzzkill that walks into funerals and being like, hopefully this works out for the next person because it didn't work out here. It's just, sorry, that was a little bit morbid. It's just hard. It's hard. In fact, it's so hard that R.C. Sproul, a famous theologian, when he was asked which doctrine he struggles with the most, he replied, hell. I think we have his quote right up here. I thought that was pretty good. Hell. (laughs) It's comforting to know that theological giants like R.C. Sproul struggled with this too, amen? That it's not just us, but that this doctrine is so uncomfortable and we struggle with it. But I think there's something important here because however we understand hell, it shapes our view of the gospel. It shapes our view of God's holiness and our depravity. And we need to accept the reality of hell. And we need to understand that we do not naturally have right standing with God. And that's why the gospel is so important. I had a friend um, come to Bible college, and right away they were challenging me and saying, hey, I don't, I don't believe in hell. And I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Bible college seems like a strange choice for you then. And he's like, I dare you to find me one scripture where Jesus talks about hell. And I was like, okay, okay let me just open it up. And I was like, dude, there's, I found over 20 times that Jesus references hell. Even if you're just flipping through your Bible, through the Gospels, there's a good, good chance that you're going to come across one of these passages. In fact, in Luke 16, Jesus describes hell as a great chasm which none may cross over. In Matthew 25, Jesus, in the same passage that we just read, talks about people leaving his presence and entering eternal fire. See, Jesus references hell in very, very great detail. He talks and describes hell a record of 19 times in his Gospels. Comparatively, he only describes heaven once. He says in Luke 16 that it's a place of eternal torment. In Mark 9, he says it's unquenchable fire. And also in Mark 9, further on, it says that the worms will not die. In Matthew 13, 42, he says that it's a place where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret. Regret, sorry, that was weird. In Luke 16, he also says that those that go will not return and even even to warn their loved ones. In Matthew 25, he also calls it a place of outer darkness. And he, in Matthew 10, compares it to a place called Geshenna, which is a really interesting place. It's this basically city dump outside the city of Jerusalem where in the past, in the book of of Kings and Chronicles, human sacrifice was performed to false gods. And so the people hated this place so much that they began to make it their dump. They would throw their trash, their feces, dead body of prisoners and, and rebellious people, and they would just light it on fire. And it was smelly, and it was horrid, and people avoided it. They hated it. It was the worst possible place, and that's what Jesus uses to, compel, uh, to compare to hell. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. He describes it more vividly. See, there's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned people about the reality of hell. And Jesus makes a point to talk about hell because he understands that it's the fate that that awaits those that are apart from him. He loves them. He's trying to warn them because when Adam sinned, he brought sin into humanity. And so it's not just this thing where sin is simply what we do wrong, but sin is who we are. It's our nature. By nature, we're, we're evil, we're corrupt, we look for ways to rebel against the king. And see, in contrary to popular belief, hell isn't some place that we send the extreme cases. It's not some place where it's like, the average person's okay, but those, those really bad people, they're the ones going to hell. No, he says that in our natural disposition, our default, we deserve to go. And it's only in God's great mercy that he rescued us from condemnation. So see, we're left with two options. We can stay in our state of depravity and be eternally punished, or we can submit to the Lord and accept his gift of redemption. Yeah. See, there's a few things that allow me to accept the truth of hell because it's, it's really hard. And one is that hell is justice. It's justice. And the second thing is it shows the goodness of God and who he is. See, the notion of hell is difficult for most of us to grasp. But Jesus, with his scarred, nailed hands, 
begins to talk to us about trusting him in place. See, his goodness ultimately causes me not just to not to go to hell, but to be with him in the kingdom. Because God is both great and good. His greatness causes us to bend the knee, to cry in awe and wonder and fear him. We realize we don't deserve salvation, we deserve punishment, and that makes his goodness shine all the more. Because it causes us to see him for who he is, and it causes us to lift our shouts in endless praise, grateful for a loving Savior. His mercy allows us to enter into his presence boldly and without fear. See, because he is good, we can have relationship with him, and we can come to him like a child, dearly loved by his father and escaping the flames of hell. A few years ago, when me and Rachel first got married, we, we got our dog, Gray. You know, I like talking about her. She's super cute and super annoying. I love it. Um, one day, we, we like to go on walks at like 5 a.m. Because uh, we would go to this park. It was a state park. And it was a, uh, a lot of you are probably going to look down on me for this, but that's okay. It's a mandatory leash your dog. So I would go at 5 a.m. so I could let her off leash and no one would be there. So I'm like, you run to your heart's content. When you're ready to come back, we're good. There's no one out here for like another two hours. And so we'd go when it was still like pretty dark. You could barely see the sun. There's fog everywhere. And we're walking and all of a sudden pops out this coyote. And... My dog is just a puppy, so she's like super stoked. She's like, another dog, another dog. And she goes bolting after this coyote. And all of a sudden, you see like a couple of coyotes running around, and she's chasing them. And me and Rachel are like in a panic, like, what are we going to do? Coyotes like hunt dogs. They'll eat them. And she's still like a little puppy. So I'm running around trying to catch her while she's chasing the coyotes and trying to figure this out. And luckily, all of a sudden, the coy- one of these coyotes, it turns around, and it just looks her dead in the eyes, and it starts yipping its coyote yip, and all of a sudden my dog just like freezes up, turns to see that I'm there, and just goes running towards me and jumps into my arms, because she's like, that's not a dog. <laughs> like, this is scary. That's not a dog. And so I'm able to grab her, and we walk away, and we get, I put her on a leash, and we just get out of there. See, in our natural nature, we're a lot like a disobedient, excited dog that goes running after the things of this world. We go chasing after it, running after it until it has us in its snatches and all of a sudden it turns and says, I have you where I want you. And in that moment, God opens up his arms and says, come to me. I love you. Allow me to free you from the snatches of hell. See, one day, what is wrong will be made right. We'll see that God's always good. His ways are good including his demonstration of eternal justice. But for now, we need to walk in humility and faith, trusting with the Apostle Paul, where he says in Romans eleven thirty three, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. J.I. Packer has a quote in his book, Knowing God, where he talks about the goodness and severity of God working together. He says this, the character of God is the guarantee that all wrongs will be righted someday. And when the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed, and it arrives, retribution will be exact, and no problems of cosmic unfairness will remain to haunt us. God is the judge, so justice will be done. So many of you are asking, what's the point of Jesus teaching about hell? What's the point of us learning about hell? What's the point of hell in itself? Well, here's what I want you to take away, and it's just one simple thing. Hell helps us understand the urgency of being about the gospel business, the urgency of reaching out to others, to realize there's more than just this life, to realize for those that are caught in the ways of the world, to realize that you need to walk away from your evil because one day a judge will find you and you will be held accountable for the downtrodden and those in hopeless, knowing that this world is a vapor. Ecclesiastes says it's like a breath. And one day we'll be before the king who will make all things right. To encourage us that justice is to come. It may not feel like it. It may seem broken. It may, it may seem hard. But Jesus is coming again and he's bringing absolute justice. And lastly, to reveal the weight of the holiness of God. God is a holy 
comes the awkward part. So that's that's pretty much the end of my sermon. But I have like 12 questions that I got asked that I just want to like boom, 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 boom. I asked them to play some ACDC. This is the weirdest sounding ACDC I've ever heard. But we're going to make it work. We're going to ram through. So rapid fire questions. Number one, and this is probably the most common one I get. How does a loving God send people to hell? How many of you heard this question? Can I tell you, I'm so sick and tired of this question. It is, it's honestly kind of ridiculous. Because let me say this. Let's think philosophically for one minute. How many of you, if somebody broke into your house, they stole their things, they held you at knife point or gunpoint, said, I'm going to, you know, let's just get like really drastic here. I'm going to murder your family. I'm going to do all these horrible things. And you, you're able to call the police and they take them away and they say, we're putting them in jail. How many of you are really upset with that? How dare they take him to jail? He's just misunderstood. Evil is not a real thing. We love justice when it works in our favor. Here's the problem. We don't like God's justice because it differs than ours. We don't like justice when it comes pouring out on us. But when it goes against people that we dislike or enemies, we're like, yeah, get him, Judge Judy. We got this. We got this. We love justice, but it's got to be by our terms. See, none of us like to accept the existence of evil. It seems to be a really popular notion nowadays that there's psychological solutions and that people are generally good and things kind of work out. I think most of us have lived in the world long enough to realize that's not necessarily true. In fact, uh, part of Bible college a few years ago, we actually got to go on a field trip and we visited a Unitarian Universalist church. And he was spouting about the importance of looking for good and everything and loving people and uh, fighting evil. And I was like really interested because he kept talking about all this and I was like, hey, I just have one question. He's like, yeah. I was like, what is evil? You're talking about all these things that are good and it being accepting, but if you're so accepting, what is evil? And he sat there and he said, honestly, none of us know. None of us know. When we, begin, when we get to be so disillusioned that nobody could do anything wrong and everyone's just misunderstood, we miss the point. There's evil in this world. And God's come to bring all things right. And a lot of people, they like to throw out, they can't even quote the verse, to be honest. They're just like, somewhere in the Bible it says, God is love. God is loving First of all, it's in the epistle of John, in case you're wondering. But it, it, call, it says that God is love one time in the epistle of John. And that's such an important verse, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But can I tell you, the most used adjective in the Bible describing God's character is holy. I wish we went to war over the holiness of God, like some people go over to war of the love of God. Because God is holy, and God is loving. And there's, there's this interesting way that it all works together. We need to stop defining God as love by our terms and how we perceive love and start then to see that love is God's character. That it's not God, this is how I view love, this is how I want to be loved, so this is how you need to act. You need to just overlook everything I do wrong and say, no, God, if you are love, what's your character? Because that's true love. That's true love. Amen? Next question. Is Satan the ruler of hell? This one's really simple. No. It literally, in the passage we read, I said, remember this. It says that hell exists to punish Satan and his servants and followers. So hell isn't Satan's kingdom. It's not somewhere where he rules and reigns with his trident and his pitchfork. And he's like, like a Spartan or anything. Literally, hell is somewhere that Satan's trying to avoid because he's going to be thrown in there to be eternally punished. And this is this third question is kind of similar to that. Is hell a party? No. It is a place of punishment. In fact, Jesus, in his parables, by definition, casts people out of the party to go to hell. So if anything, hell is an absence, a lack of party. Honestly, it's super weird. Let's be honest, uh, this modern-day interpretation of hell as this party place in this kingdom of Satan came mostly during the Renaissance. That's the same time that people started describing and, and portraying Satan as this goat hoofed figure with a trident and horns and a little goatee. I don't know what everyone has against goatees, but that's how it works. Um, it's, it's an artistic expression that somehow just kept coming because that people kind of understood it. But um, no, hell is not a party. Hell is not Satan's kingdom. Satan is, kingdom, uh, Satan is king of nothing. Satan is already defeated. All right, next one. Where is hell? No idea. <laughs> so a lot of people believe that it's at the center of the earth. And I found this interesting when I was looking at, they get that because of the verses that talk about God sending and casting people down. 
So they took that and interpreted it as that must mean that down is the center of the earth. We don't actually know. That's just a common held theory. Uh, some other ones that I found when I was looking, this was really funny. One was like, it's kind of like heaven. It's like, you know, this uh, weird, like other dimension, spiritual place that we can't access. Uh, some people describe it as a different planet, which was interesting. Uh, some people actually think it's what's on the other side of black holes, which I was like, okay. Um, I think, I honestly think that hell can be found on I-5 during rush hour traffic. That's where I think it is. But, you know, that's just could be me. I know for a lot of you, it's going to the coffee shop and paying a dollar for donuts. Too far, probably. Okay. Okay. Here's the solution to all of it, though. We don't know where hell is. We're not told. What is hell? What does hell look like? Here's another one that got brought up a lot. Um, Jesus uses a lot of poetic language when he describes hell. He talks about eternal fire, darkness, death, separation, weeping and gnashing of teeth, and torment. Again, he compares it to uh, that Geshna, which is also known as the Valley of Hinnon. He uses it, uh, that was a place of child sacrifice, the dump full of trash, dead bodies, human waste, continually lit on fire. Here's the important part. Jesus compares it to the worst things that they would understand at the time. He says that the, the evilest, the worst places that you can understand, it's like that. And so I'm not sure which part of his description is poetic and which is like actually uh, which is, I can't even think of the word. What's the word? Literal. Thank you. Appreciate you. Uh, it's literal. We don't know. And so um, here's, here's the general idea of it. Think of the worst things you can imagine, and it's worse than that. You want to avoid it. It's not somewhere you want to go. Will there be fire? Probably. Will there be worms? Probably. Can I guarantee it? No. Hopefully you don't find out. It'll be good. Number six, is God absent from hell? This is, a, this is a, another view that kind of goes with, is this a kingdom? Satan. Yes and no. Yes and no. Um, I know a lot of you are thinking, thanks, Ty. That's a really helpful answer. Second Thessalonians 1.9 is where a lot of people get the idea that God is not in hell because it talks about the presence of the Lord being taken away. When you look into the Greek, I'm super smart like that. When you look into the Greek, we, it, it's actually more talking about the favor and love of God being fully removed. So it's not talking about his actual, because God's omnipresent. It means that he's everywhere at all times. So God's not just like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, that's the shadowy place. I try to not look at it. No, God is, that is part of God's kingdom. That's where he goes to pour out his justice upon Satan and all of his servants. And so Jesus is still the king and Lord of hell, just like he is anywhere else. And so it's not necessarily, it's, it's not saying that Jesus isn't there. It's saying that the people that are there, the love and favor of God has been fully removed. There's no hope. And, and here's where it gets kind of interesting. When it talks about the favor of God, a lot of us think of like blessings and material things, and those are all part of it. But the very breath we have, the way that the world works, how we're able to walk, because we're enemies of God. And so God shows his favor, his love, his mercy, and just allowing us to exist as his enemies. And so what it's saying is that that even, even like, love that's poured out to everyone, that universal love and favor, is gone. It's gone. Does that make sense? Good. Number seven, how do we save others from hell? We don't. That is not our job. Our job is to be obedient to the Lord, to share the gospel with everyone. We plant the seeds, but it's the Lord that waters and it's the Lord that harvests. So we be obedient to God, but we don't need to hold on to this weight on our shoulders like if my Uncle Joe doesn't go to heaven, it's on me. It's my fault. I should have done things differently. No. Be obedient to the Lord. Share the gospel with everyone you can. Extend the love of God and grace to everyone you can. Trust God with the eternal. Number eight. What is Jesus referring to by the weeping and gnashing of teeth? This was interesting. Uh, this precise, I wrote this down so I'd say like literal and right. The precise phrase gnashing of teeth is found in several places in the Bible and used exclusively in reference to the final judgment of sinners. Where it is combined with either weeping or wailing. The Greek phrase for gnashing of teeth literally means grinding one's teeth together. So part of what the gnashing of teeth communicates is pain, especially with the gnashing it's combined with weeping. When a person hits their thumb with a hammer, he will commonly squeeze his eyes and, and, and squeeze his hands and grind his teeth together. The weeping and gnashing of teeth in scripture, however, is more dreadful, partly because it lasts for all eternity. 
what it's saying is, you know, when you, 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 you feel that pain and you kind of tense up and ease up, that's the gnashing of teeth. So what it's saying is it's going to be a very emotionally and physically painful place. Number nine, we're people in hell now. This is super complicated. I'm just going to be honest. There's a lot of views on this. I'm going to share my view. It's not necessarily everyone in here's view. And if you disagree with me, you can come yell at me later. Just don't do it on Facebook because I'll probably won't see it or even respond. All right, differing views. Uh, there are some people that believe as soon as we die, we go to heaven or hell right away. And then that somehow works out. Time is not a, is a construct made by man. And, and the final judgment happens whenever you die. I don't know. It's interesting. And then there's people that believe in something called soul sleep, that when we die, we're just resting until the day of the judgment, and then we all go up together. That's another popular view. Mine is a little bit more unique. I don't know. Um, so my view is that when people die, they go to these different resting places. So when it's, when hell was translated into English, there was actually four words used, and they all just turned it into hell. It's kind of like love. There's five different words that they just translated to the word of love were kind of simpletons in English. It's kind of interesting. But one of them is Sheol, which simply means the grave death. So when you're saying, like, you know, in Psalms, a lot of times it's seen when they're like, don't take me to the pits of Sheol. It's like, don't don't take me to the Grim Reaper. Don't let me die. The next is Hades, which uh, I, I, is, is referenced as this holding place. We'll jump into that in a little bit. Next, there's also the Lake of Fire, which is used a lot of in Revelation, casting people to the Lake of Fire. And then lastly, there's that Gehenna the valley of Hinnom that we kind of referenced before, the trash place. And so um, getting into my personal view, I believe that there's these two holding places described in Luke 16. So there's, this is going to be a funny word, Abraham's bosom. And there's uh, what, what's like commonly referred to as Hades. And there are these holding places uh, where people are held until the final judgment comes. And then they're brought up together just along with everyone that's on earth and everyone that's dead. And we all get brought up together and we face Jesus on his throne in the final judgment. Um, if you're looking for places like this, it's like Luke chapter, chapter 16, Daniel chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, they all talk about it. Is this a salvation issue? No. Can you agree with me? Yes. Can you disagree with me? Yes. It's totally cool. All right. That was a lot. Question number 10. Did Jesus ascend to hell for three days? This is also a really popular one. Uh, I don't hear it much from people other than like Mel Gibson, but we're going to talk about it anyways because I got asked. Another part of the original Apostles' Creed uh, this was like added later. So it wasn't a part of the original Apostles' Creed. That's why a lot of people assume that it's doctrine. Is uh, A lot of people assume that when Jesus died, he went to hell for three days and he battled Satan in this epic war and he stole these keys and then he came back up. Um, a simple way a simple way to kind of disprove this is like the thief on the cross. What does Jesus say? Today I will see you together in paradise. Now I've heard hell called a lot of things. Paradise is not one of them. In fact, it's probably not a synonym for hell, to be honest. And if it is, that's a really bad marketing campaign. And they need to rethink that. It's kind of weird. So like I said, this crazy theory is that Jesus goes to hell. He fights this war. He takes these keys. Um, in, Luke six, uh, in Luke 16, this is where I think that Jesus actually went during those three days. Uh, again, it talks about Abraham's bosom. And I think that Jesus went there, which is commonly referred to as paradise. He was hanging out with his people, telling them about who he was and how he defeated sin in the grave and that he was going up and they'd be awaiting the final judgment and that people were able to hear it because it talks about the caverns being connected. You just couldn't get to it, but you can hear things. So people in Hades were able to hear about it. Um, you can see things like Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. It talks about people hearing the good news from Jesus and one day ascending with him into heaven from there. And then in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20, uh, this is one of the most debated passages in all of church history. It's really interesting. There, When I researched it, there was over 180 interpretations. It's kind of interesting. Um, but if you look into this, I believe that Jesus went into Abraham's bosom, proclaimed his victory. Uh, people in Hades heard about it, and he just went up to heaven three days later, or I guess on earth for 40 days, and then heaven. So it's kind of interesting. We only have 12 questions. We're on 11. I know you guys are doing great. Uh, do people who have never heard of Jesus go to hell? We, we don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us a clear answer. Uh, people argue on both sides of this. Um, there's like people that like to be really exclusive and people like to be really inclusive. Um, they can both use scripture to back it up. I tend to lean towards no 
and only because of this, like scriptures like John 3.36 and Romans 1 tell us that. John 3.36 tells us that we are naturally in our disposition, enemies of God, and that we're just getting our rightful reward. And Romans 1 talks about how even the earth and creation is enough evidence of God that people can be held accountable. Am I going to die on this hill? No. Is that good for you guys to know? Yeah, because you guys asked about it, so there you go. Um, last question. Here we go. Does hell go on forever? There are four views on this. Uh, there's probably more, but these were the most popular ones. And after this, I'm going to turn it over. And we're going to be good. Um, does hell go on forever? There's four views. Number one is the naturalist. These are people that think, and it's super interesting because uh, Pastor Brent referenced this even last week. This is even some believers that believe that after we're done with this earth, we're just, we're just done. I don't really know how you read the Bible and you come to that conclusion, but uh, some people do. So there's the naturalist view that once you're dead, you're just dead and it's done. There's secondly, the Christian universalist view. I also greatly disagree with this, but they believe that somehow God's going to save every single person, whether in this life or some other way. Um, I just believe like the passages we've read that that's consistent with scripture. Jesus talks about separating people and casting some away and gathering some together. So I don't think that's within orthodoxy, but there it is. These last two are within orthodoxy. Uh, There's the uh, Christian annihilation theory. This one is the belief that when we go up for that final judgment, when Satan is cast at the lake of fire, those that are are away from God, those that are in natural disposition of rebellion, uh, don't go into hell. They just cease to exist. This is a theory held by famous people like Francis Chan. A lot of theologians, some of my professors believe this. I do not, uh, simply because I believe in this last one called eternal punishment. I believe the scripture is very clear when it says eternal fire, eternal death, that when Satan or when Satan is defeated and cast into eternal fire, and when we face the final judgment, that we're either into eternal life or eternal punishment. I think the scripture is pretty clear on that, so that's my view. I wasn't sure how to wrap this up, so I'm just going to pray. And just remind you guys, the reason why we went over all this stuff, the reason why we're talking about this is because the gospel is so important. If you take away anything, even if you're like, that was a lot of crazy information, if you walk away with anything, walk away with this. The hell is real. People are away from God, and we are commissioned as the church to go and preach the gospel to them. Amen? Let's pray. God, right now, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you are a loving Savior, that you don't desire any to perish. You say so in John chapter 3, that you love everyone. You don't desire them to perish, but you came and died so that those that love you would be saved. But continuing with that verse, those that don't love you are already sentenced to damnation. God, I pray that we would feel this in our very bones, like of the book of Jeremiah says, that we would have fire that we could not do anything but share the gospel of Christ. That we wouldn't get caught up in how loud the music is, what color the carpet is, what price the donuts are, anything else, but we would be focused on the eternal Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, raising him up and helping proclaim his name all over the earth. God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. In your name we pray. Amen. Hello, hello. Thank you, Pastor Ty. What I mean, that is a lot of information, and for for literal s- centuries, this has been debated among theologians, among uh, church fathers. Uh, what what hell really looks like, what eternity looks like. These are some heavy concepts, and I love how Ty wrapped that up. That that really it comes down to. Um, we might not have all the answers today, but we know what we've been called to do, and that's to share the good news of Jesus, and that we need to make sure that our hearts are right with God. And uh, so I want to not finish today without the the promise of hope for you, too. So if we can, for just a moment, take a moment between you and God. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment? And I want to give you this opportunity. If you're not yet sure of where your soul stands, if you have not yet trusted God with your eternity, whether or not you, you... you have had a, a, a formal moment where you said, God, this is it. Right now you want to say, God, I need to make this a conscientious moment in time where I say I surrender myself to you, that I would have eternity in your hands, not in my own, not in my own goodness, not in everything I can do, but I want to know that I stand right before you, God, the God who is just, who is good. So if that's you today, 
you want to give your heart to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. So right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you want to give your heart to Jesus. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Raise it high. Thank you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Yes. Yes, I see that hand. Anyone else? Or you can put your hands down. And right now, I want to pray with you. But afterwards, I would love to be able to meet with you or talk with you. But at very least, when we do our connection cards in a moment, let us know you've given your heart to Jesus. And we want to connect you with someone that's going to just give you the next steps of what it means to follow Jesus and what that looks like. So right now, church, let's pray this together. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Lord of eternity, that you defeated death, and your victory is my victory. So this morning, I give you my heart. I will follow you from this day forward. Forgive me of my sin and my rebellion. I believe that you died and rose again to save me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So here's what I ask. When we're done, would you come talk to myself or Pastor Ty or Pastor Todd? Let us know what the decision you made because part of uh, choosing to follow Jesus is then to actually speak it out, to confess him as Lord. So I ask you to, to, to speak it out, to let us know, and we will uh, give you those next steps of what it means to follow Jesus. All right? Right now, we're going to do our connection cards. So everyone, if you'll get out your cell phones, this is our favorite way to do connection cards, is through cell phones. And uh, up on the screen, you're going to see right here, we've got a QR code. You can point your camera at that. That'll take you to the website. Or you can go to nlcchurch.com slash connect. Or the other way is the paper way. If you prefer to do the paper one, fill out the paper connection card. Let us know you were here. If this is your first time, we're going to do something. We're going to make a donation on your behalf. There's an organization called Feed One that goes into the neediest parts of the world and brings the hope of Jesus. And so by filling that out, we are going to make a donation uh, for a week sponsoring a child um, as just a way of saying thank you. So thank you for filling that out, letting us know what we can be praying with you about, what's going on in your life. Thank you for filling that out. Right now, we are going to hand it over to our board of elders. They have a a brief uh, uh, presentation that they're going to make, and then we will get ready to, to, to move on. Praise God. Well, today I'm here to let you know that October is... Pastor Appreciation Month, and we have chosen to honor our pastors today. So if you're in the room and I call your name, please come up. Hallelujah. I know someone good here. Okay, that'd be Brent and Hosanna, Ty and Rachel, Charity and Scott, Todd and Christine, Bruce, William and Mary Ann, Melissa and Tony. Come on, stand right across the front up here. Don't be shy. I don't bike, but I might. Oh, that rhymes. Praise God. These people, they're the pillars in the house. They stand before you today as the servants of Christ. And I'd like to read a couple of scriptures. And this is from 2 Corinthians. And it says, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now I know that these, some of these people that are standing right here have gone without food to help someone. They've gone without sleep. The pastors are on call 24-7. If they get a call from the hospital at 3 o'clock in the morning, I guarantee you they're going to come. They're going to be there for you. And then it says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Daily they face the pressures of the concern for you, the church, for the body of Christ. That's why they're called. That's why they're here. That's why they lead. And before Pastor Todd retired, he read a scripture over this group of people. And I want to read it again today, just as a reminder. It's from 2 Timothy 4.1. 
I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season. And that means be prepared. Out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And I'd just like to say that I believe this group of people has risen to that charge. Hebrews 13, 7 says, For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Hallelujah. Let us be a joy to our pastoral staff, not a grief. When they see us, let them have a smile, like they're doing now. Let them smile. They say, I know that guy. I know that gal. I'm their pastor, and I love them. Hallelujah. Now I'd like to have the elders come forward. We're going to lay our hands on this group, and we are going to pray. A big prayer, because God is a big God. Hallelujah. Praise you, Father. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have set these people in this house in front of us to serve us, God. Hallelujah. To be examples of the faith. And I pray, Father, today, increase their faith. Increase their faith, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Help them. Help them to be the servants of God that you've called them to be. And I pray your favor and your blessing on them in everything that they see and do and touch. Let it prosper. Hallelujah. And I pray, God, today, let this be a day of new beginnings for this church, for this house of God, for this pastoral staff. Hallelujah. As your word says, created me a clean heart, O God. Hallelujah. Create it today, God. And let those hearts be refreshed and renewed and strengthened in the power of the Holy Ghost. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Give another round of applause for the pastors. Yeah, uh, I learned something really new that the pastors, if you call them at 3 o'clock in the morning, they'll come to you. Pizza run on Brent. Pastor Brent, thank you very much. You'll be getting a call tonight. Uh, Before before we end this service, I just wanted to give the quick announcements. I'm Nate, and of course, it is great to see you, and thank you, Pastor Ty, for wherever you are. Pastor Ty, for that wonderful message. I'm very, very grateful for that. But with that being said, have you ever wanted to just throw an axe? <laughs> Where are my men in the house? Let me hear go. Oh. All right, men, men, this is for the men's ministry. This, this is happening this Friday, October 29th. There's going to be axe throwing, and we can do it legally. Legally at the Oregon Axe is going to be 6 p.m. $25 is all it's going to cost at the door, and you can get that aggression out, throwing axe, not at people, but at things, at trees, and etc. So I look forward to that. That's October 29th. Yes. And then the next day, Senior Saturday. For all my seniors, I want you to put your hands up like this and go, whoop, whoop. Hey, you are hip. You go. All right. So for all my seniors, we're having Senior Saturday, and that's happening October 30th, the very next day. And right here, you will get a chance. Get this. Potluck where you can bring your finger food and everyone's eating. Then you have 1970s trivia. What memories just popped in your mind right now? And then also, last but not least, you'll get to see pictures from Pastor Todd and Christine's trip to Rome, Italy. Roma, Italy, Chabela. Doesn't that sound nice? And then finally, and then finally, and then finally, the Sunday after that, we're going to have a costume party here at church. Well, it's not really a party, but you just come to church with your costume. And listen, listen, here's how it's going to work. The best costume individually will get a prize and the best 
family costume will get a prize as well. So make sure you dress nice. Um, I don't know if this is no demons or goblins or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No spirits, just something wholesome. And then, last but not least, two weeks after that, November 14th, we'll have Baptism Sunday. That's the best day of them all, all right? So there's your morning announcements. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your Sunday. And don't forget, Jesus loves you. Thank you, Nate. I love Nate announcements. Nate announcements, I look forward to them. I'm like, oh, it's Nate time. Well, uh, this morning we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings as we go. So, ushers, if you'll prepare yourselves. Thank you, church, for your faithfulness in giving. We have seen God's goodness and, and just amazing blessings poured out over our church. And I, I believe and I know that in your lives as well, as you have been faithful and obedient in giving. So thank you for giving. Um, we have several ways to give. In the bucket is the old school way. Some of us like to go old school. Um, we can do it that way. You can give online by going to NLC church.com slash give or text to give. You just text any number. You can make up the biggest number you want and text it to 84321. And if it's set up, it'll give that for you. So all you got to do is text the number to 84321 and it'll give. So thank you for giving. Let's give with joyful hearts this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercies. We thank you, God, that you came to seek and to save the lost. While we chose our own way, while we walked away from you, you came to redeem us from the pit. You came to draw us out. And Lord, we thank you that we live with this eternal hope within us. I pray, Lord, that as we go today, that we would live with the light that shines within. Lord, that, that the world would see the hope that we live with and that we get to, uh, that we could find opportunities to share the good news with our neighbors with our families, with those that we come into contact with, the joy, that, the reason for the hope that we have, the joy that we carry within us. And we thank you, Jesus, for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's give with joy this morning. together. Lord, be with this group, this body of Christ, these followers of Jesus today. Let us be salt and light in our world. Let us go and be the hands and feet of Christ everywhere we encounter. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you, New Life Church. Have a wonderful day.